Today's sponsor is Audible, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at www.audiblepodcast.com slash baldmove. Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 7, entitled Heads Up. Uh, after a second watch, I, I kind of like this episode a little more. I, I, I'm i ignoring the Glenn fiasco yes. that was Episode 3 or yes. 2 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, a lot of people wrote in saying they didn't have such a problem with the payoff on that. And I mostly agree. Um the setup just made it so egregious that I was having trouble. But the rest of this episode is fairly good. Sure. There's some dumb stuff. Spencer does some real dumb shit later well, on. But, but, you know, it's... He's a dumb person. Yeah, and <laughs> I think there is better, maybe better, more subtle ways to show how the community's various responses to Rick is kind of changing his mind slowly about the value of the Alexandrians. But, no, they're... I think you're right. I think you're mostly right. I feel like uh, is it Tobin? Is he the head of the yeah the the uh, repair crew, the fence crew? He's the a number one disciple of the cold rolled steel. Now that the other dudes that I don't remember his names have been eaten and okay. killed. Uh, yeah, I thought that Tobin's talk with Rick did a lot to uh, tell tell Rick that maybe he's being a little too harsh on him. Right? Yeah, maybe he's not going about this the right way if he wants to integrate everybody. And, and, and honestly. I'm not sure why we couldn't have these kind of more mature conversations about this rather than like, why couldn't we started here rather than having the Alexanders being so comically inept? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this is finally I, I where do. they're trying to move the story to, but we've had what a half a dozen episodes of Rick being proved right about these, like they're children, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're children, these Alexandrians. And I just think that in any random po- sample of the population living in these kind of conditions for this long, it's just kind of laughable that they're as bad at it as, as as they are and are so just squeamish about so many obvious things. And, and also so weirdly decadent. Okay. You know what I mean? Like they're the lost Roman legion that's that's still maintaining a sense of civility and nobility in a, in a harsh world and, mm-hmm. and they've got these walls and they got their canned foods and they're still throwing dinner parties and it just that's always seemed kind of ridiculous to me I whereas guess, this tobin I guess. as presented in this episode feels like a real character he does who's yeah. like you are a crazy man and I understand that, and I understand why. He's given Rick a little perspective on himself, right? Sure. Like, when you showed up, you had a fucking grizzly man beard. You were covered and in blood, And you were shouting and, and covered in blood and stinking. We didn't know what to make of you. Yeah. And you came in and just acted like we should bow down, and it, it doesn't work like that way, Like, you were man. One, one W short of being a wolf, essentially. It, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, there were a lot of real characters in this episode, real real people uh, in this episode, and I, I felt like it worked better than, you know, we give it credit for when we're live watching it and laughing in Well, but it's, it's the, hard the to – it's really hard to overcome the initial kind of uh, – all the four weeks that we put up with this entire yeah. situation when mm-hmm. you're trying to do it off the cuff. 
Because that's the thing that just dominates everything. Yeah. No, as it should, probably. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we have a recap to get into. Do, do we want to talk? So how much do we want to talk about the situation? The Glenn stuff? Yeah. Um, we have, we had several emails on it. I pulled out just a couple. All right. Um, I, I want to talk about it. I don't know if I want to wait until feedback or not, but I, the only thing I really want to say about it is that I don't think it was executed as poorly as I imagined, um, when I first saw wow. the cl- quote unquote cliffhanger, which I don't think was a cliffhanger. I think it was more of a bait and switch. Uh, and, and the only reason I'm so down on it is because of the way that they ended that previous episode. Okay. If they had, if they, I think what they should have done and what would have made it less of a fuck you and more of a cliffhanger to me is get him under that dumpster last episode, not last episode, but the, the first episode that we saw him indeed when Dickless shot himself, you leave him scrambling underneath the, and we're not like, is he or isn't he? We're like, how is he going to get out of this? Yes. I, now, where are you with the whole waiting three weeks to get back to it? Because I think that's, that's also crazy. See, I think it's it's either either of them would all would be a kind of you know if if they did that fake out as you said the bait and switch, which they also did in some form on True Detective season two, which is also not really well received. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you can do something like that and then come back the next episode and resolve it. It's then you've got the the classic Adam West Batman, you know, tune in same bad time, same bad channel to see Glenn sure. escape this thing. Yeah. Or you could do what you suggest and have him scramble under the thing and it's like, "Oh shit, how is he going to get out?" And then maybe you can wait 4 weeks. I, I, the, both of those are kind of dick cheap moves. It's yeah. it's, it's cheap. And when heat. you combine them, it's you know it's like when the Iron Sheik gets up there is. in the height of Desert Storm and he's got his little Arab Sheik costume on. He's like "fuck you, fuck you" and challenge the the crowd to fight, and they're uh, already pissed off at you know Saddam Hussein or whatever. And it's like that's just so Saturday morning cartoon, right? It is. But to have yeah. them both together is just that's the big, big problem. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like you know. The actual situation itself, I thought, was staged poorly. You know, yep. just like I mean, I I just couldn't believe as I was watching it the way that Glenn's body is staged and the way the shot is blocked in between every single cut is radically different. Yeah, yeah. Like the way he's positioned, it's the van off the bridge scenario, it's, right? It's, so, so here's the they thing: they don't care about those small details. We flip their shit about the van flipping. What if the van was actually Glenn? Yeah, that's, that's and it the, froze frame in midair, and then waited, made it you wait four weeks to resolve the van flipping, and you saw how poorly it was done, and it's all pretty much well. I wore our seatbelts, so we're fine. Yeah, Th- that's that's this is the Walking Dead doing the same shit, except for now they're adding an almost social media trolling aspect to it. Yeah, that didn't do them any favors. And I watched part of the Talking Dead, and we have some some feedback on that, so I might, I might save that part of the commentary until yeah. then. Uh, but yeah, that, yeah it thing. was po- poorly handled. I, I think more poorly handled in that second, whatever, first episode with Glenn where he ends up uh, with Dickless on top of him. Agreed. It was more poorly handled there than it was on the uh, the episode we just watched. Agreed. I think that's the the breakdown between like the quote-unquote haters and the quote-unquote lovers is like to the extent that that thing kind of... You know, you can choose to not allow these problems. I mean, they're problems. Like, you can't say that bodies moving around and, and how far you are from a dumpster and where... To, you can't say that those aren't problems and continuity errors. But to the extent they bother you or not, yeah. yeah, that's a personal choice. But for me, when I have that stuff happen and it happens over, like, a multiple episode arc, 
you know, it's like just bums me out and takes me out of it. And I think there's sure. And especially when it was so obvious. I mean, it yes. was obvious what they were doing too. It wasn't like, oh, well, you guys are crazy. There's no way he can get under that dumpster. Or yeah, like he's. They obviously said he's going to get under the dumpster. Well, they they didn't mean to, but they did say that. And like, that's the thing with when, what I'm saying. You add the social media, like the the press releases yeah. and the clarifications and all that. It's just, eh. anyway, I feel like we we've covered it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jim, Thanksgiving is coming up. Oh yeah. You know, a lot of Americans. Uh, they wake up Friday morning, early Friday morning, like three o'clock in the morning. Maybe they don't even go to sleep. They're surrounded by carcasses of yep. dead turkeys. Mm-hmm. They've they've huddled underneath a dumpster overnight for for warmth, and it's it's time to emerge blurry eyed and go out to face the the walking dead horde that is Black Friday. Yeah, the teeming hordes. If you go to Amazon.baldmove.com. You can skip all that. You can do... They got Black Friday sales. We'll be doing it all weekend long. They got Digital Monday. something you can only do. I think they already have Black Friday sales. It's, it's like probably. Sneak peek, Black probably. Friday. It's, you know, the Christmas tends to bleed early and early. It's going to be uh, pretty soon Black Friday all year 365. <laughs> sales. Unbelievable sales all uh-huh. year long. Uh, but you can take advantage of it. Amazon.baldmove.com. The great thing about using that URL, except of the boring old Amazon.com one, is when you go, use the link as we described... You go to Amazon, you get all the same sales and features and all that stuff, all the same prices, uh, but we get a cut of whatever's in your cart. It's not an yeah. extra fee, it's just bonus that Amazon gives us to turn you on to their deals. Sure. It is an sure. affiliate link. So <laughs> That's how they work. <laughs> and we make it real easy to do Amazon.baldmove.com. So yeah, don't just stay underneath the dumpster, whip out your cell phone, no need to fight the undead. Get all your Christmas shopping done on Amazon and help out Bald Move in the same at the same time. Amazon.baldmove.com. So he gets he, he spends a whole night underneath this thing, uh, and you know he's killed like this w- little miniature wall of zombies all around. So he's kind of sealed in. And there's yeah. a couple of grim shots of you know him sitting there up at night looking right into Nicholas's dead face. And like running out of water, and running, he's running out of water. He's about to have to bear grills it and drink his own piss. It's got to be hot under there, right? Like I don't know what time of year that we're talking about here, because who who the fuck knows with right. these harsh Georgia winters? Uh, I imagine it's hot under a dumpster with like a suffocating wall of horrible stinking walkers sure. around you. Sure. Like he's got to be sweating a lot. Yeah, and it's got to stink. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess you'd get used to the. That's the thing about the human nose. It gets used to base levels of funk pretty fast. That's true. We demonstrate that on a daily basis here in the studio, <laughs> especially on Broccoli uh, and Beans Day. Why do we have a Broccoli and Beans Day? We're I, just asking. You're, you're right. Especially you're right. on the double podcast days. It's just it's just not, not good planning. Yeah. It's like Deanna <laughs> levels of, of uh, community planning. Uh, but anyway, he gets out of the dumpster. He wriggles out on the next day when the zombies have kind of come, uh, been distracted. And I thought it was... Heavily implied that Enid did the distraction. That can rolling? That can okay. rolling across and all the zombies kind of like, oh, you know. I thought so too, especially look. because she shows up kind of out of nowhere and yeah. is just kind of waiting for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which shows to show Enid is way better at surviving than, than even Glenn. Because she saw the stairways leading up to the high ground and took it instead of trying to bury herself underneath a literal pile of garbage. Yeah, it does make me like curious. Like, I'm not saying this is a plot hole or anything. I'm just wondering how she got how she found out that Glenn was in there and like, why was she in this area? Like, well, see, it makes so I, I guess I, this, this town, which I'm going to christen, not Alexandria. Yeah. 
Um, I feel like it's the next biggest settlement outside of the little subdivision that is Alexandria. Seems like it. So, like, that would be a probable, a, a, a good way station. Like, okay, I need to get away from this place mm-hmm. and maybe spend the night here. Uh, and then, you know, I'll go on to the next settlement. The next, you know, but it's so I, feel, I felt like it made sense for her to be sh- uh, kind of shacked up there when the shit starts to hit the fan. And then she's stuck yeah. there just like Glenn, just in a way better position. Uh, so she he, she says heads up tosses him water and it just lands in this puddle of filthy water. <laughs> uh, and I said gl- heads up. Yeah, I said you, <laughs> what, you know too slow, schmo. Yeah, you can't believe you're not limble and or nimble and live after spending all night underneath a dumpster. But right. whatever. Uh, so Glenn follows her into the building that she's holed up in, and she's not willing to have a discussion on shit. She just wants Glenn to get the fuck out of there. And he's like, you know, what happened? She's like, what happens is what always happens. People die. And it was people, not zombies. Uh, so Enid decides she's had enough of this conversation. And she escapes down the fire escape ladder that Glenn and Nicholas studiously avoided last episode. Mm-hmm. And Glenn races off after her. And realizes, oh, there's a ladder here. Oh, wow. I mean, I just had to move this this <laughs> minor obstruction in my way to, to achieve freedom. Wow. Uh, I could learn so much from you in uh I want to always call it Ingrid, but it's Enid. Yeah. Apologize if, if the Ingrid slips out. Uh, Rick is patrolling the walls, and he's inspecting them, making sure they're still holdings, like well, what a leader would do. He finds Morgan doing his little uh, broomstick tai chi mm-hmm. and says, hey, we're going to have one of them little chats that I've been promising. I, for a long time now. Although it's, I, it's a long time coming, and I keep telling you about it. And I, I get it. It's not been, I mean, I, I he had the first talk with him and then cleared him, and now he's having nuts. So it's not the same thing, but, you know, we like to give the Walking Dead shit. Uh, so he also finds this bloody crack in the wall that caused so much stir on the internet last week. And it turns out, in fact, it is just blood dripping through a little minor imperfection in a wall. Hell, it could be a bolt hole. Uh, so I guess zombies still have, like, flowing blood that red, squeezes yeah. through these fucking holes? Like... We don't see that when they get stabbed and shot and killed, right? It depends. Sometimes the zombie blood is black sludge. Sometimes yeah. it's red. It, it, it's, I don't. Right. I, I feel like it's like Nicotero kind of like looks at a zombie. He's like, "Huh, yeah, you're reasonably fresh, red blood, or oh, you just came out of a shit pile. You're black blood, you know." Okay, that works, I guess. But yeah, I you know, ask a doctor how long blood would stay red and flowing in a human body. Probably not long, but whatever. Um, he also then sees Maggie holding a lonely vigil on top of the wall, and she says, hey, I'm only up here because I want to be the first one to see Glenn's signal. Mm-hmm. And she kind of gets a little pessimistic and says, or maybe not, and he says, hey, Glenn's come back from way worse things. I mean, you yourself have put him in far worse positions. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I mean, remember that one run my wife sent you on for abortion pills and shampoo bottles? Like, you guys both almost died there, and you came back. <laughs> You'll see. Everybody's going to come back. And he says, maybe maybe we should be more proactive about it and, and think about how we can clear out these zombies so they can have a nice, smooth way in. That's a good Yeah, idea. way to start thinking, Rick. Come on. <laughs> and I also say, but, but, but really take her. He's like heading off the obvious objection. No, no, no. Really take her time on this plan. Do things right. Yeah. We got we got time. The walls are holding. But I think like, that doesn't seem to be his MO, <laughs> is thinking slowly, methodically, and clearly. So then Maggie says, apropos of nothing, uh, I saw Judith the other day. She's really starting to look like Lori. And Rick gets all defensive. He's like, hey, well, what do you mean by that? Her, her lobes are fine. <laughs> Leave my daughter out of this. And he huffs she's, off. Yeah, she's a little loby, but other than that, she looks just like Lori. No, uh, so this is Maggie's, like, 
she's pregnant. We know that. So like mommy now she's she's starting to think about it, right? She's like, oh, okay. She's imagining like have like is this going to be such a bad thing? Like nope. she's going to have a little uh, ass kicker of her own, that sort of thing. You can see that it's the wheels are starting to turn for her, which I, I thought was good. I thought it was a nice touch. Thank it, God. it feels like it comes out of nowhere for Rick, I'm sure, but not for her. Thank God there's no internet, or else we might you know run the risk of her mommy blogging someday. Nobody yeah. wants that. I don't know what that would look like for her, but <laughs> uh, so Glenn searches the back alleys and streets of not Alexandria and comes upon the reanimated body of not Tobin stuck to the fence uh, before putting it out of his misery. He zombie his... kill of the week. Zombie kill of the week. He did what no one else was willing to do <laughs> and put this poor asshole down. Yeah, I wonder uh, if he's like, good God, who would just leave you like this? What animals? What animal? He doesn't even recognize him. The other thing is like, so he kills this walker here who clearly is causing him no harm, right? He goes up and over this fence, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he gets mad at Enid later for stopping oh, alongside the road and killing this walker. Yeah. I'm like, Glenn, what are you doing, man? I, yeah. I don't know it's, why he was mad about that. but I Because he's being poorly written in this episode. Yeah. Uh, he finds the toilet paper confession, which I thought might have a meaningful payoff eventually. It might. Uh, Assuming whoever yeah, I'm not his even wife sure is, is isn't eaten in Alexandria. I almost now. think that maybe they made it explicit that she did get eaten. If we really paid attention and kept track of who was living, who was dying, you would make is her name on the wall or something. No, maybe? I I just felt like he made it and mentioned the name, and it, I don't know. It's, it was one of those things where it's like I honestly probably should have gone back and done, looked into that, and I just didn't think of it until just now in the podcast, and it's too late. Was so. her name Betsy? Was that her name? I, I don't know. Are you Betsy confusing her with the Fargo? I mean, that's the other thing. Watching no. three shows, it's that's, four for me. Yeah. And all of them have a Betsy, it feels like, mm-hmm. or Elizabeth. So it's it's getting <laughs> getting confusing. Uh, so Rick's heading off to train Ron in the way of the gun, but he takes enough time on en route to the training section to rip down some of Father Gabriel's prayer circle signs he's been putting up, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, he doesn't, like, Carl doesn't seem to agree with him. He's like, Dad. Yeah. Dad, why are you ripping those signs down? Uh, you know what, what Carl does agree with? Huh. Humiliating Ron at every oh opportunity and every God. turn. And yeah. I, I like the dynamic of, of Carl just taking broad side pot shots at <laughs> Ron for his courage and strength. It's just such a little shit. You gotta be brave, which is gonna be a challenge for you. And yeah. also you gotta be strong, which, hello, noodle arm. <laughs> He's just start kicking sand, and it's like, you know, the back of a 50s comic book. He's just kicking sand yeah. in 98-pound weakling. Uh, Ron wants to and actually... And then that, the delivery on this line of you've got to be strong and wait for your moment. I'm like, it's for one, it's bad delivery. Like, sorry, Chandler Riggs. Like, He's trying most to do... of the time you're good. This line was not... Maybe it was because the line is fucking terrible, but... He's trying to do Rick's Southern Fried Batman. <laughs> He's, you know, got to be strong enough to wait for your shot. And it's just... It's just... Oh, it's bad. Not enough testosterone there yet, man. Not enough testosterone. And it seems like it's also foreshadowing, right? He's telling Ron exactly the thing that he does later, which is Pro- blow make Carl's preparations and then go in for whatever he's going to do to Carl. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, he's stalking Carl with right. a gun now. Right. And that's Ron is putting every one of these digs into his little deposit. Yeah. You know, his, his little... Each one he wrote on a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to fire it into Carl's head. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, Ron, Ron wants to progress to actual target practice but you know rick's concerned about all the zombies outside and and what kind of ruckus that's going to cause and ron kind of presses the point he's very eager and then kind of backs off when he sees that rick and Carl are looking at him like you're a little too eager to be slinging lead down range i just want to learn yeah 
Maybe we can give you one bullet you can keep in your pocket one of these days, Sheriff Ronnie. But for now, no. Uh, but he does convince Rick to let him keep the gun. Yeah. So he can sleep with it under his pillow. I don't, work on, I don't know why, but... Work on okay. loading and unloading and all that. So that's a valuable skill. Why not? Yeah. Uh, so Morgan goes to visit, visit Denise uh, for roundabout help with his wolf patient. Uh, but he doesn't get very far, and Rick interrupts him and says, Hey, it's talk time. Talk time. You, me, now. I thought he was going to interrupt just to say, We should talk later. <laughs> I thought that, that would have been really funny. That, that later talk's still on the table, Morgan. Don't forget <laughs> about it. Yeah. Don't let it go cold. Uh, so Rick confronts him about letting the wolves go by telling him, hey, uh, I thought it was weird that I had five wolves, one of them with a gun, jumped me, and uh, Carol over here says, uh, you let five wolves go, one of them with a gun. I just think that's a coincidence, <laughs> you know, Morgan? Uh-huh. And Morgan defends himself by saying, hey, you could have killed me when I was all acting crazy, crazy, stabby, stabby back in King County, and you didn't, so... Mm-hmm. You know, I know and you are, but what am I? He he makes so he makes the point, and then he refutes his own point, which yeah. I think is interesting. Like, uh huh, it kind of makes sense. He with actually what he's feels saying. conflicted. He does. He like, does. He's this is, like, I know I'm being a little crazy here, uh, but look, you you let me live. I saved Daryl and Aaron. Yeah. Maybe if I hadn't saved them, they wouldn't have come back. The wolves wouldn't have come back and attacked Alexandria. Yeah. Potentially. So maybe you did a bad thing in saving me. Then again, Daryl and Aaron wouldn't be alive. So. How do you weigh this? Right. And that's actually a fairly decent, nuanced point. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where it's like, I think the things you might need to do to get healthy mentally might not always be the things you do once you get mm-hmm. healthy and you're stabilized. Okay. Like, uh, you know, um, I don't know. It's a bad example. But if you're an alcoholic, you stay. I mean, yeah, you got to, I guess, stay away from alcohol the rest of your life. That's a bad example. Uh <laughs> Uh, I don't have a great example. Let's say you know if you're if you're too, right. if you're pushover, you know one of the things if you're trying to mm-hmm. do assertive this training is you'll probably be way more assertive than you feel comfortable with. And if you kept up that life philosophy, you'll eventually be turned into an asshole. Uh-huh. But the thought is, eventually you're going to get assertive enough that you don't feel sad inside and unable <laughs> to relate to people and get the things you want in life, and then you can kind sure. of ease back on the asshole throttle and, and fly level. Yeah. No one's here to hold Morgan's hand and, and, and walk him through that stage. So he's just stuck with full throttle pacifist. You're right. He snapped off yeah. the handle. Full mil- military pacifist power is yep. how he's living his life. Although I got to say, I am – I'm side-eyeing Morgan like Bruce Banner every time he starts to get a little worked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's going to start clearing again. <laughs> Better watch out, guys. Uh, so uh, – he says, hey, do you, and I thought it was an honest question. You think I don't belong here? Like, I guess, you know, it's like, I think Morgan would be like, I can take my stick and my backpack and my weird face mask and kick it on down the road, man. I can just walk the earth. It's, it's worked for me so far. Sure. Maybe that should be the thing you do. And he, Rick says, you think you can make it now without getting blood in your hands? And he says, I just genuinely don't know. And I think, I don't know if we said this in the live watch or the instant cast, the instant take, but there's got to be something he can do in this town other than fight people, right? But when it's an all-hands-on-deck thing like that, I don't think you can. It's and, true. and that's what Rick's point is. You can't, you can't be a conscientious objector. Make him a doctor. Him and Denise seem to be getting along. But even then, in a doctor, like, you know, Hers- you give Herschel a shotgun, he unlocks in- infinite ammo, and he goes, ham. Like, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I just, but... Like, yeah. if not, you're Tyrese, and we bitch about you until you so. die. Well, I was trying to go doctor because doctor seems like something that could also yeah, yeah. be useful during an attack. Like, 
uh, we've been attacked by this force, whatever. These guys got shot. Help them out while right. we're defending the rest of the city. I I don't know. Feels like there should be something he can do where his pacifism will not get everyone killed. I, I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, I've been reading these uh, old sailing books, and I just that's interesting that, like, when the ship gets attacked, the fucking ship's doctor, the yeah, cook. The guy's swabbing the decks. Are everybody picks up a, a cutlass and a pistol and repels them because if you don't, you're dead. Anyway. You're dead, and that's kind of like that's the permanent. Like, yeah, okay. Be walking in, in a plank. perfect plan, you won't have to fight. But when the wolves come across and there's a little girl there, you got to, you know. Or yeah. if I'm out trying to get an RV, you can't be having a like big exit here. Take one free gun as you leave. You can't. You can't be doing that, man. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought if you're going to have to have a debate like this with all the buildup they've had, this is the best way to do it. Yeah, I liked it. I really liked that scene a lot. So uh, we'll notice that the, the church lookout tower outside is really starting to stress and strain and moan and groan. I got a bad feeling about this, Jim. Really feels like... Uh, I mean, planks are falling off the side of it. It's Big tears are going into structure. It just doesn't, doesn't look in it. It's really close to the wall. So I, I guess I like what they how they positioned this truck because it became very clear that the truck went through like a corner that's close to the wall. So you could see if the structural integrity is weak, it would fall that direction. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So we're back to blaming Spencer for all this again. I yes, like it. obviously. It's all his fault. Uh, and by the way, this they, they cut to this from here on out. Like, in between, assumed in between every scene, this this structure is swaying and shimmying a little bit more. I'm not going to call it out every time. That would be ridiculous. But they are showing it visually. Uh, Rick and Michonne are moving forward with this zombie moving plan. And Rick wants to keep this just within the group, within the inner Rick circle. And Michonne just openly calls bullshit and says, look, you, I can't believe you're still doing this. Yeah. And right about then, Deanna bounces up with her plans for an expansion for after all this. And Rick is very dismissive. But Michonne does take the plans and she kind of bounces off. Yeah, I, I feel like Michonne should be leading this group. <laughs> Let Rick be the, the, I don't know, the general. Yeah, let him, no, like let him be some said, military he's... officer and let Michonne be the one who's calling the shots. Right, right. She seems way more level-headed. Like, the stuff that um, Morgan was saying in the scene before, obviously she understood it much more than Rick did. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of prompts her to go on this, like, you're still not going to trust these Alexandrians, like, we need we need more people, like, all yeah. this stuff. Rick can be the Admiral Adama. Yeah. And she can be the president. Rosalind, Crazy sure. pants yep. uh, the, uh, of the group, and they can have that... Although I, I found and that they dynamic can annoying for power. In, in Battle Stars, so maybe yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe a better version of that. <laughs> Who's Baltar? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Eugene. Abraham, oh, Eugene, Eugene, Eugene's a good Baltar. He'd be good, but, but he's not active enough. Mm. You get an Abraham loose, and I think he could do some damage. Find out Rosita's is a figment of his imagination. It could be Gabriel. I mean, Baltar's kind of a religious figure. Uh, speaking of toasters, Rosita gives Alexandrians basic zombie combat instruction. While Eugene just disassociates because he's afraid of dying. And Rosita says, look, uh, you sack of shit. Dying's easy. Watching your friends die is hard. And knowing that you didn't do everything you could to save them and you're still alive, that's the hardest thing of all. And Eugene pees himself a little and then flounces off. (laughs) Good point, Rosita. (laughs) No, she took it to him hard. This is my life philosophy here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's later in the episode during the everybody stop and stare at the balloons phase, there's a like a half second where you see Rosita in a field alone giving Eugene private instruction. Because I actually thought it's like 
wow, you're kind of you're kind of really ricking it hard here. Uh, you're in full Rick mode with Eugene. Like, he needs this instruction, and you're just running him off. But I thought that the way they uh, yeah, yeah. visually showed that, yes, she did, but she's coming back and, like, you need some remedial, you need some after-school work here, was a nice touch. <laughs> some tutoring, sure. Yeah. Uh, Enid prepares to leave an empty diner. Probably not going to leave a tip. She looks like the type that would stiff, <laughs> stiff the Well, I, the cake was really rotten. <laughs> really rotten. Uh, when Glenn needlessly jump scares her and grabs her to keep her from screaming, we could have just said, hey, Enid, and gotten the same result. Uh-huh. Uh, Glenn insists on bringing her back because Maggie would have wanted it that way, and she pulls a gun on him, and goddamn it, if AMC doesn't leave us hanging regarding Glenn's fate. Just cut to commercial, and I spent the next four minutes <laughs> sobbing. If Glenn dies, we riot on Twitter <laughs> just to get through it. Uh, we get back from the commercial, and Glenn immediately calls her gut bluff and takes the gun away because she's not... Yeah. She's a survivor, but she's not a killer. Yeah, and the entire time she's got her finger off the trigger, like you can see it. She's clearly not ready to shoot him. And, and, you know, after the instruction that Rick gave to Ron, we're all like, oh, yeah, finger off the trigger. She's not ready to shoot. Symbolic, I don't know. Uh, But so why isn't – why does Glenn say I'm doing this because Maggie would want me to? I don't know. I don't understand that motivation. And it also provides Enid an excuse to bitchily say, oh, does your wife want it this way? Throughout the rest of the episode, the Glenn, which literally yeah. every argument assumed that she says that at least once. I'm not going to call it out, but she she does. I don't know, because Glenn is – he was introduced in this series selflessly saving a person's life. And it seems that's like kind that's of his, his MO. Thing. Yeah. Yes. And, and later in the episode – so I think it's because later in the episode they wanted him to say – uh, I'm doing this for me now, not for Maggie. Or or yeah. it's not for Maggie anymore. Like, she's he's got some connection with Enid now, which is fine, but I just don't think making him a strangely detached character that is not I, I, him I think it's, I think it's is a way to do he, that. He judged that he'd have a better better luck appealing to her. Like, you know, this person she doesn't know and is concerned. And I, I don't know. It's kind of like me saying I want this is not as strong as some third party that's potentially worried about you. Like, I don't... I guess. To me, I, I even put in my notes, this is not a really a great answer to why. Yeah. Why are you enforcing your will upon me? And I, I, I thought a lot of this stuff was not the best, but we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, so Tobin, actual Tobin, uh, yes Tobin, and Rick work on repairing the wall. And Rick, as he's because because you know Tobin knows his stuff. Like Rick's just slinging wood and banging shit together, and he's like, "Hey, uh, maybe we brace it correctly and and uh, not be so <laughs> haphazard about things." Yeah. So Rick's like, "Huh, huh? Maybe these people aren't just." It feels like annoying skin bags sucking up all my oxygen and eating all my kids' food, <laughs> eating all my dog food. Uh, yeah. Th- so this almost feels like busy work to Rick, like patching up this part because he doesn't have anybody else helping him. He hasn't called in the work Which is crew. kind of amazing. Like, that I know. says a lot about Alexandria, that he's the only one well, worried about that, the walls. Yeah. And, yeah. But it says a lot about him, too, that he's just out there doing things himself. Sure. It's it's like he doesn't want help or need help or anything like that. And it's – don't get me wrong. I love this scene. I think Tobin is right on about everything. Yeah. Uh, it was just weird that he doesn't get, like, Tobin and his work crew to go do this. Yeah. 
so Enid dispatches a helpless zombie on the ground, and Glenn, as you mentioned, side-eyes her for no damn good reason. Yeah. And she's like, why? Did your wife not want me to kill that zombie? It's gunpoint lecture, too. It's like, I, I am going to physically take you back to town, and not only that, I'm going to lecture you while I do it. Yes. Ah, yes. Glenn, you're the worst. Uh, so Enid takes down some marker balloons and ties them to her... Uh, backpack and glenn she explains to glenn hey they could be a useful diversion which good thinking enid uh and he says hey guess what there's a helium tank up the road if you want more with more balloons and more rope or as i call it string (laughs) so they mosey up the road a bit uh tobin spots the blood coming through the crack the same one we've seen a couple times now and rick hilariously says that doesn't mean anything (laughs) which i thought is funny in light of how much ink was spilt on what it meant last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Rick has the whole, you guys used to scare the hell out of us with your beard and your bru- your blood and your brutality and you're wanting to execute our citizens and all that stuff. And he says, things have been moving fast and too fast, but don't give up on us. And again, you can see Rick, the crack in his blood-encrusted beard start to, start to get wider. Uh... So Glenn's curious about Enid and who she stayed with, and she mentions she stayed with Olivia, who I think is the pantry monitor. But we know how so. good uh, she is at keeping track of shit, let alone a wily teenager. So Ugh. she observes, I was largely on my own. Yeah. And Glenn says she's afraid, and she says, I'm not afraid. And Glenn says, yeah, you are, again with the gun on her. <laughs> she says, I don't need a lecture. You and Glenn, Glenn thinks she does need a lecture. She does, yeah. Uh, and she's going to get it, or else he's going to fill her full of holes. So Glenn talks a mess about you honor the dead by living, mm-hmm. and she's just so over it. And I'm thinking this whole time, she'd be so much happier hanging out with Jill from The Leftovers. Oh, hell yeah. Like, that's her speed. Like, put put Enid, Jill from The Leftovers, and uh, the girl from Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. Uh, all together yeah, in a group, Plaza. and that would be... I would watch that show. Yeah, April. <laughs> yeah. It would just be them calling bullshit on everything. Yes, but yes. it would be fun to and watch. rolling their eyes and uh-huh. scoffing. Uh, so, speaking of Olivia... Well, before we move on... Oh, okay. It becomes apparent to me in this scene that uh, Enid is worried about losing more people, right? Like, there's talk about her parents. Well, there's not talk directly about her parents, but, like... Right what were you doing before this? And she says, you know, I was alone and all that stuff. And then Glenn's says his thing about honoring the dead by living or whatnot. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to talk anymore. She doesn't want to lose any more people. And that's kind of why she's running away from Alexandria. She, she, she sees things going to shit, which is funny because this is literally the leftovers bread and butter. Like this one issue of how do you insulate yourself from loss and experiencing grief and move on when terrible things are happening. Yeah. So she literally would be better off with Jill. Um, so speaking of Olivia, as I said, this doesn't transition doesn't make sense since uh, that was like two minutes ago. Uh, but Olivia, Olivia, the pantry mom or pantry monitor who can't monitor shit. Uh, Ron pulls the old canned food that randomly falls on the ground caper on her. She buys a hook, one, long, hook, hook long line and sinker hook long and flinker. Mm-hmm. And he's able to steal a few bullets from the armory. Yeah. Kind of, it's a minor miracle that someone with so little gun experience would be able to pick out the right caliber and, and whatnot, but, you know, whatever. He's... I feel like Rick might have told him what Plus, it was. Plus, a lot of those guns have it stamped right on the side, and, and like, unless you're a total moron, if it's 9mm yeah. and you see another box that says 9mm, yeah. and, uh-huh. you know, like, it gets more complicated with that, with Magnum stuff and all that, but, you know, whatever. I'm sure he could figure it out. Mm-hmm. 
Plus, he's got the gun with him, so he could always just, you know, while Olivia's spending the next hour fucking with the cans, he could just fuck with it until he gets it right. Yeah. Glenn and Enid manage to arrive at Alexandria and see that it's rolling with the zombie posse 20 deep still, and Enid's like, I told you so. The world is trying... And then this is an interesting life philosophy. The world is trying to die, and we're supposed to just let it. And Glenn says, you're wrong. Here's my opinion. And that's not how <laughs> arguments work, at least how successful <laughs> ones do. Like, we, we sometimes happen... That happens a bald move, where we start arguing about something, and we realize we're arguing on a, a purely subjective opinion. And it's yeah. like, shit, now what? Yeah. Because there's... You can, you I can't prove it to you. You can't prove it to yeah. me. What are we going to do? Yeah, you're fucked. And, yeah. but, but Glenn's not that smart, so he's going to keep trying. Well, yeah. Enid's not that smart to realize that this is what's happening. She just goes, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Totally, totally. Yeah, she, he rejects her reality, substitutes his own, and it works. Yeah. Uh, Rick and Tobin are walking home from a long, hard day of cold rolled reinforcing, and they catch Spencer doing something incredibly stupid. Oh my god! So his plan was to do this this cool ass commando run where he throws a grapple hook over yeah. the wall into the structure nearby, and he he like I probably in his mind ran across it like a ninja and springs lightly to his feet and leads them all off Pied Piper style and saves the day. What actually happens is his homemade grapple hook. Can't support his, uh, you know, I, I, lightly built weight, and it collapses, and he gets dropped right into the middle of the zombies. Miraculously, doesn't die. Thanks because, to Tara, is it? I th- you think, think Tara goes into fast action. She swings her body over so she can take un- unobstructed one-handed shots. Hanging from the wall, which is admittedly I, pretty badass. I, that's exactly what's in my notes. Pretty badass, Tara. Like, not super smart. Because no. you're probably gonna fall and die, but right. you looked real badass doing it. Yeah, like that's 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 stone cold. Like she's got doing. full Catwoman pose going yeah, down no. the strut there. That's real cool. And she then tells uh, uh, Eugene to go run and tell Rosita and Maggie to go fire the guns from their position because, just like Rick, she's concerned about the zombies congregating in one spot. Mm-hmm. She's just nailing headshot after headshot. While uh, Spencer tries to scramble up the rope, and Rick helps him. And so Rick, after everything's over, screams at Tara, you almost you almost died once for these people. What are you doing? And she just flips him the bird, which I didn't even know they could do on AMZ. Yeah. Have they, has there been an unblurkled? Maybe there was a Mad know. Men. Maybe, maybe like Peggy flipped someone off. Could be. Maybe that's the thing. If you have a, so, so you, a woman can flip off people. Mm. A man, it's too, it's too phallic. Sure. It's just like you can't have full frontal male nudity. Uh-huh. Um, anyway. Uh, Did it feel to you like this thing with Spencer kind of came out of nowhere narratively? Like yes. given Given that we have seen Spencer's POV before, yeah. I found it weird that we wouldn't see any POV leading up to this for him. Right. I mean, I think... Or at least a POV of a character spotting him doing something weird. Yeah, and or some sh- some... Stuff that made him feel like he has remorse for stealing all the crackers because I thought it was weird. Like when Rosita came up talking yeah. that night, I kind of felt like, okay, well, he's feeling bad about it. But then he immediately starts shoving crackers in the mouth, kind of implying <laughs> to me the opposite that he it, uh-huh. it really didn't get through to him. And now we see him doing something selfless and heroic. It seemed out of nowhere, but I, I do like his justification for it after the fact. Right. That he's like, I felt bad. I wanted to help. You wouldn't have fucking listened to me. Because because no, I know that <laughs> right, but on the other hand, your idea was stupid. Sure. So I would be correct in shutting it down. But on the <laughs> third hand, Rick's plan 
recently haven't been any better. It's just he's a much better natural-born killer, and he can improvise his way out of them. It's true. So it's like, eh, you know, walking dead giveth, walking dead taketh away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan comes back to Denise, who has all these cheat sheets of how to diagnose things like infection, stuff that I would hope they would cover in med school, and, and maybe you'd have some... Floppers? Is that what she called this yeah, thing? Yeah. Floppers. Floppers. What is floppers? Fever, warmth, heat, pain, something and something. Inflammation and rash. And you spell inflammation with an E now. Is how you do it. No, I mean, I, I haven't gone to medical school, but... Uh, okay, I, I don't know what it it's is. my favorite it's... Mal- uh, malted milk candy, is all I know. Yeah. Uh, good. And he says, hey, I need to ask you... They have a kind of um, some witty repartee about faith and choosing, and then Morgan hits him hits her with it. Wants to know about the antibiotic stash, which is weird. It's like, how are we stocked for antibiotics? And she says, we're, we're, we're good. Mm-hmm. But however you're stocked with antibiotics, you're never stocked enough. That's true. Because yeah. they're a finite supply, and you have to go get them at risk of your own skin. So at no time... Can you just, hey, antibiotics, here's some antibiotics, your throat yeah. scratchy, antibiotics. So, you know, the the kind of ethics of what he's asking, I, I thought it was weird that they throw in the thing, the fact that he's like making sure that the, the town has plenty. He doesn't want to, doesn't want to impose. Um, and he also says, I don't want to get in, you involved in anything that you may not want to be involved in. And apparently she's game to participate in his wolf rescue center because she follows him with a leather satchel that's no doubt loaded with medicine and supplies. For all the conversations that were treated to in mind-numbing detail, I kind of wanted to see him make this pitch to her and see how she... Because I don't have a good read on her, and having yeah, yeah. him go back and forth would have told me a lot more. I found that frustrating. Okay. Like, of all the stupid shit that I have to watch Enid and Glenn say to each other and... I, I can't get an, a minute of him trying to, de- you know, making his best pitch to an Alexandrian who is just attacked by people. That there's a man that might be dying yeah. in this in his bed. Make this pitch that 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 she's going to go along with. I would have liked to seen that. If I had to guess, I'm I'm going to say they're going with the, the doctor must heal sort of thing. Like doesn't matter who, doesn't matter why. I need to make this person better. Well, the other thing, slightly a little more mercenary than that, in the point of view, would be to say, you got to practice on somebody. <laughs> right? That's true, yeah. Like, what you do with him afterwards, like, maybe he can be tried, and, like, you could have a kangaroo tri- trial and, and execute him. But mm-hmm. that might not be a bad idea, that if you got some wounded people, you might need to practice an amputation or stitching mm-hmm. or whatever. Like these are people that you don't care one way or another. I know that's a little Nazi doctor. Yeah, I mean she's I, getting. I get that. Like is she going to go mangala on this shit? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I need twins. I need twins for my research. <laughs> How else will I know? It's good. She's going to piece together different parts of wolves. It, it's and certainly turn it slippery into... slope, but it's kind of like you know I don't believe in spanking children necessarily, but maybe you beat some ass in a zombie apocalypse. May, maybe. Maybe do some medical experimentation when you're trying to rediscover medicine. Yeah, like, I watched yeah. the Nick. They did a lot of fucking experimenting on people back in the day to get to where we're That's at. True. That's they just true. didn't call it a war crime because it got us to where we're at today, and it wasn't kind of kooky and crazy and questionable medical ethics. And also the patients hmm. consented to it because they're going to die. Sure, yeah. 
that helps. Yeah, we just I think we'd solve medical ethics when it's not like apocalypse. holding a gun to the head. You're gonna die, so <laughs> do these experiments. That's how Glenn would run his surgical ward. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think you do need the surgery, and I don't think it's elective. So just sit down. We're gonna whip your arm off. We're gonna whip it on. We're gonna reattach it to this dog, okay? Or I'm gonna shoot you. So uh, where are we at here? Uh, Carol sees this, yeah, and she is like hell no and she pawns judith off on the jesse so she can investigate it uh jesse should be noted has rediscovered her joy of metal based artwork and i was hoping carol would knock that thing over again you know i'm thinking well you know good for you you, you need a hobby yeah why not? So, you know when you could there's fences to be mended and and uh you know your your son who's learning to shoot to be looked after and all that stuff just just you know weld some owls together and your and your son's doing his phantom the opera routine upstairs just mm-hmm. just weld some some owls shit together <laughs> Uh, while Jesse's getting ready, Carol has an upstairs, downstairs type of conversation with Sam, who still won't come down. He has questions about monsters and about his dad and how killing comes into play. Like, did my dad become a monster because he killed people? Was he killed and then he turned into a monster? If I kill someone, will I turn into a monster? Like, this kid logic is kind of interesting how it works on Carol. I, so, yes, I agree. I agree. This is interesting. Her response to it is like... Killing is the only thing that keeps you from turning into a monster. But you can tell on her face what that... What kind of monster is she going to turn Sam into? And Sam, you got to kill. Yeah. You got to kill. Doesn't matter who, just kill. Yeah. Because that's how he's going to take it. <laughs> right? I mean, right. I I don't know. She's going to turn this kid into something horrible. Right. Uh, that Jesse's not even going to recognize. It'd be hilarious to see like a Carol and Sammy, like a Rick and Morty. <laughs> Sammy, you gotta, you gotta kill this wolf. You gotta stab it. Just get in there. Just keep stabbing. Don't no, stop stabbing. I don't want to. Carol. I don't know about this, Carol. I, I might turn into the monster. Uh, you just gotta stab him. Uh, yeah, no. I but I thought when she walked out as she was saying that line, it felt like she was kind of beating a hasty retreat because she didn't like where this conversation was going. Okay. And there's something sh- I don't know where it's shifting to yet, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's some shift in her. Behavior. And I'm not sure if she's going to become more radicalized or kind of meet Rick in the middle. Yeah, it seems like right now she is very much on the kill train, uh, which is in stark contrast to Morgan. And we, we've known that for a few episodes now. But I, I think it's interesting as as Morgan is battling with the nuances of this, that Carol kind of is not yet. Like she she battle, she did that battle a few seasons ago, right? Well, I mean, yeah, since like, look she's, at the flowers, she's essentially... yeah. She's essentially been to the right of Rick when yeah. it comes to like isolationist and xenophobia. Let's just and, kill. And yeah, you got to kill everyone that I don't recognize immediately needs to be killed, lied to, or used to pre- prevent the other people I care about. And I don't know. Like we talked about the Kirk, Spock, McCoy triangle. Mm-hmm. Maybe you got Rick and uh, Carol and Morgan. Because they kind of okay. like Rick's so kind no of Darryl. in the middle, and and they're they they cover that spectrum well, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, as much as I hate to admit it, Rick is somewhere in the middle between Carol no, and yeah. Morgan. Yeah. Even though I think he's still kind of off to the side a little bit on sure. killing, sure, and and not taking care of people. But it'll be interesting to see if they can all come together, or where these are just going to be irreconcilable differences. Yeah. Uh, Carol busts into the residential jail, or actually, she's trying a bunch of keys again. Morgan actually opens the door on her, and she confronts Morgan, demanding to know who he has in there. 
And that's where we're going to have to leave that particular plot line because then we get to a couple of uh, quick cuts of Carl moseying around Alexandria as only a kid in a 10-gallon sheriff's hat can mosey. Ron pulls up behind him, pulls his gun out of his waistband. That mm. can't be good. No, it can't. I, I wonder... So so it's interesting to me, like, why is Carl... Or why is Ron trying to kill Carl? Oh, well... It can't just be because he stole his girlfriend. That's that's not enough, even in the apocalypse. He stole his, he stole his girlfriend. It's revenge against Rick for killing his father. Yes. It is... So I... It is his own feelings of helplessness and... Uh, weakness that he feels like he he's has to, to prove get out to himself. Yes, and yeah, he's I, a teenage boy, so he's primed to do stupid stuff anyway. So I wonder, like, I feel like his animosity is more toward Rick. Like Carl, yeah, he's not happy oh. about Carl stealing Enid from him, but Rick killed his dad, uh, and I don't know what he thought about his dad. We never really got anything, any insight into that whatsoever. Sure. But it can't be he good. Seemed like he was pretty stand up for him, but only in. I don't know, man. It's hard for me to say he hates Rick more than he hates Carl. I feel like he hates them almost equally for different reasons. Well, kind of where and I was it, going it also with it feeds this. into each other. Like, the more he hates Rick, the more it's he hates true, Carl, yeah. the more he hates Rick, the more he hates... And they also keep doing... They keep doing things like saving his ass and making him feel emasculated and, you know, openly <laughs> mocking his strength and courage. Sure. And so, Carl's not helping, yeah. But yeah. so kind of where I'm going with this is I wonder if his... What's going through his head is, I'm going to kill Carl because this is what Rick did to me. He made me, like Rosita says, live with sure. the fact that I've lost these people, right? Yeah. And say what you want about his dad. He's a shitbag, but he was his dad. Uh, I, I wonder if that's going through his head. All right. Uh, Michonne starts pouring over Deanna's plans, and she's like, all right, the church rec center, that's well enough. Crops, okay. Barley equals intellect, and her jaw <laughs> drops and her eyes get wide. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't encourage this. Uh, Tara is uh, looking for Denise, and Rick takes the opportunity as she comes up to him to apologize, sort of, but not. And he kind of – it's weird because – I don't think Tara kind of recognizes how crazy he's talking at this point. And maybe Rick is starting to realize how he's sounding because mm-hmm. he's like, you didn't have to save these people. He's like, I know. He goes, but but you could have died. And she's like, I know, but that's kind of what we do. This is the thing you and Glenn taught me about your group and why yeah. uh, I'm part of it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm fucking up. Yeah, Glenn didn't have to let her live, right? No. I mean, she was with a group that just killed his father-in-law. Like, right. That, that's bad news. But right. He showed mercy. Yeah. So Deanna walks up and she's back to her sunshine self and thanks him too. And you know, Rick's like, your son's stupid and almost got a lot of people, including himself died. And she's like, well, at least he tried. And he goes, well, I could have tried. I could have used your son's dumbass distraction to jump down there and make a break for it and maybe get a car and successfully defend this town. You mm-hmm. wouldn't want me doing that. And she just kind of smiles and chucks him under the chin and says, you'll be all right, Rick. Uh, <laughs> no, she actually says, well, why didn't you? And he said, because he's your son. She says, wrong answer. I'm like, <laughs> was Glenn putting a seminar of like how to argue with people in the worst possible way? Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? I reject your opinion on your own mental state here. Like, I I, I buy know. that he saved him in large part because Deanna is this kind of leader around here, and it would look bad to just callously let him die while he sprinted off to victory. Yeah, I mean, she's saying, you also did it because you're a good guy, right? Yeah. Deep down, 
I know who you are, Rick. So then we get a view of everyone in Alexandria looking at these damn balloons. Yeah. Uh, a few notes. I talked about Rosita. There's a, a background scene of her giving of her giving Eugene private instruction. Uh, Gabriel's prayer circle surprisingly well attended. Yeah, for having no signs up. Sure. For for <laughs> for having his signs ripped down and trod upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly well attended. Uh, Maggie gets a nice scene where she sees it and takes off sprinting, and we get a handful of kind of hopeful notes from the soundtrack and some Love truly it. terrible CGI balloons. <laughs> Were they CGI? I yes. Didn't care to check it out. You didn't. You didn't notice anything was off about those balloons. Nah. Like, surely it would have been cheaper just to let balloons go. <laughs> like that's an easy, <laughs> cheap, practical effect. You got to get the camera guy. You got to get the shot framed. You got to get the, the direct- focus pulled. Uh, <laughs> it might not. Be. We'll take it care of it in post. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Then all the tower that's been groaning and grunting all episode long falls and lands full force against the weak part of the fence and just smashes that section flat. This is Rick's worst nightmare. Yep. These strong walls have fell, fell, fallen, and now Alexandra's soft underbelly is going to be exposed to the tune of 4,000 walkers. This is my dream scenario. <laughs> it's this Rick's is what nightmare, I want. your dream. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you Rick. Uh, and that's the episode. So I really love that moment where they give you this hope. Oh my God, sure. Glenn is alive. And then, so I really like it when they troll the characters instead of their audience. Like, here you go, guys. Here's a beacon of yeah. hope. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Nope. The, the towers fell and the wall is down. Yeah. Now this is your worst nightmare. Sure. I, I yeah, no, it. that's, again, on balance, I think there was more good here than bad. Yeah. Um, and it's just unfortunate that their own choices the entire way led them to not have the impact they probably wanted. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and that's it. Today's sponsor is Audible, and they have over 180,000 complete unabridged works of fiction in audiobook format on audible.com. And you can get a free 30-day trial at audiblepodcast.com slash baldmove. Make sure you put the podcast in there, audiblepodcast.com dot com slash bald move to get your free 30-day trial and I, it's kind of an exciting recommendation because this summer i was taking a big road trip with my son and we're in the process of reading together the harry potter books and i went to audible like i do whenever i'm wanting them you know something that i can listen to in the car and went to go and they, they were unavailable and i did some research i found that you could only get them exclusively through jk rowling's own website and i was kind of bummed out and then just four days ago Audible is proud to announce that they got the whole series. So I don't know what kind of licensing deal and whatnot they worked out, but you can get the whole unabridged seven uh, audiobook set now on Audible. And I think that's pretty cool. And I've already exchanged one of my uh, credits in for Goblet of Fire because that's the one we're on right now. All right. So, uh, you know, what's really cool about the Audibles, uh, because I know some people just like listening to audiobooks. I'm not one of those people. I like listening. I like reading books first and foremost. But what I love about Audible is that I can read the book on my Kindle. Uh, I can then leave my Kindle at home and get my Kindle app on my cell phone or my tablet and read wherever I'm at. And if I'm in my car and I got to keep my eyes on the road, I can have it read from the audiobook, and that stuff all stays synchronized with their WhisperSync technology. So, like, literally the page I'm on is is the page I'm on and whatever device I'm, I'm consuming it on. I think it's a great, fantastic feature. Also, you can adjust the playback speed so it can read faster yeah. or slower. I was going to say, I really like their player. It, That's, it has a lot of key features that you yeah. need in an audiobook player. And I listened to Ready Player One last month with sure. this. 
uh, and really enjoyed my experience with it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great great way to uh, inhale books faster, or if you don't like reading, to just get into it because you know a lot of these guys are very professional voice actors, and they they make it. A lot of fun, very exciting. And being able to adjust to speed was my last pet peeve because some guys just read <laughs> way too slow. And I can goose them up technologically, and, and it doesn't make them sound like Chipmunky or anything like that. Yeah. You can get a free trial on us, audiblepodcast.com slash baldmove. All right, let's get into feedback. We uh, had far too many people write in about two things. One, oatmeal and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Everybody says they're great. I should try them. Somebody's sending recipes, links to recipes. People are offering to send us cookies in the mail. You know what? Which sounds dangerous, but... You know what? what? Uh, I invited you to Thanksgiving dinner for our family. And, Did you pick uh, up some oatmeal chocolate chip? You, you, you accepted the invitation. I, I'm going to cook you a batch okay. of uh, oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. I'm All pretty right. good at it. I'll give it a Pan- shot. The pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and uh, oatmeal chocolate cookies I'm particularly proud of. So, yeah. All right. By this time next week, you, you, you'll well, no. have uh, seen, seen the light. Yeah, I can report in next time. Uh, the other thing was Sasha's footprint in the mud from last episode. Oh, Jesus. Uh, this is the one where it's like it was, it was a steady stream of yeah. how did you get something so blatantly obvious wrong, you asshole. Well, it wasn't usually. It's was always usually in kindness. I'm sure there was a few eh, assholes here and yeah, there. Yeah, sure. Well, we deserved it because I went back and I watched it, and it's blatantly obvious. She's looking in the mud. She's wriggling her foot around. Abraham's looking at it. I just wasn't paying attention. But I here's guess, the cause... thing: she says in the next scene with him, yeah. "We don't need to leave breadcrumbs." What the fuck? Which seems to be at odd odds with her leaving a visible trail. Like and that's Dixon literally what breadcrumbs in this meaning means. Yeah, no, D- Dixon writing Dixon on the door kind of works because it's a signal, really, only to Daryl. Sure, a footprint in the mud is a signal to everyone. Yeah. So what the fuck are you talking about, Sasha? <laughs> right, and zombies being killed, like, I don't know that that is a, any more of a bread, because, like, zombies, like, there's dead bodies everywhere, and how can you tell yeah. how freshly killed a zombie corpse is, because it's been dead for anywhere between an hour and three years, so... Yeah, I... I yes, Mia Culpa, we're wrong on that, but there was a kind of, like, confusing on what, uh, what the strategy was vis-a-vis... You know, Daryl Dixon and tracking and breadcrumbs and all that. Yeah. Uh, and also, I forgot to mention this in the chocolate chip discussion. Shelby S. wants you to post your oatmeal cookie, oatmeal chocolate cookie recipe. Sure. I actually have it in a Google Doc. I mean, do that easy. All right. Cool. Uh, K in L.A. says uh, the thing about Sasha in the mud puddle. That was the only credit I was going to give for that. There were 1,500 others. Let's move on. Yep. Uh, she Ellis, I think, is the name here. Uh, it says it's been a lot more than a day or two since Reg and Pete were killed. We were talking about this last time, like kind of not knowing for real when we were at here. How yeah, she many? says the black and white scenes in the first episode were showing them all moving toward this day of the herd in which all the episodes have taken place. It's been at least a week or two. I still don't get it, but all right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, I buy that. that it's been a week just to get the plans formulated and all that stuff. Okay, all right. Maybe so, um, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. But that's the other thing: is the the now the the black and white. I think the black and white pictures, if the start of that timeline did happen immediately after Reg's death, mm-hmm. and then it tells us backwards forwards of those of, of the weeks of preparation and stuff. So okay, I can see where I got confused there. Uh, Beverly B says, "I feel the need to explain my comment last week about Sasha being able to do better." 
in reference to Abraham. He says, maybe better isn't the right word exactly, but Sasha has always been portrayed as uh, having a quiet, classy dignity. Yes, she at times has struggled emotionally, as anyone would, but she barely raised her voice and never embarrassed herself, uh, except for, you know, <laughs> almost killing Abraham. Yeah, that, the, uh, Abraham is kind of the opposite. Abraham is kind of, I'm sorry, a cartoonish buffoon. Talking about Mother Dick and his itchy ass and letting Eugene watch him have sex. Again, better was unfair. Cartoonish buffoons can be loving partners, too. But Sasha is a tough, dignified, competent, and beautiful woman. And it seems that like, uh, it seems like even in the zombie apocalypse where choices are limited and perhaps different qualities are valued, she can still find herself someone like Glenn or Daryl or even Rick, although he has some different issues. <laughs> People who aren't so cartoonish. Well, Glenn's taken... Uh, Daryl's asexual. Rick is kind of taken, and Rick has got like three women deep. He's got he's got Jesse. He needs to get rid of, and then he's taking his pick of the town. Then here. then at least Michonne. I go. So he's got he's 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 got somebody, and then one in the wings. So and Daryl might have Carol. We're not sure. Yeah, yeah. we're not. Maybe. No, I think Daryl's asexual. Could be. Uh, Nino V. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, also, just to refute her comment, especially when it comes time to cartoonish buffoons. <laughs> Uh, I learned at a very tender young age at the feet of Paula Abdul and a cartoon cat that opposites can indeed attract. So okay. even there. when they're cartoons, even especially when they're cartoons, not all even right. the same species. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all the talk of dolphin smooth aside, Abraham is recognizably human. This pairing <laughs> makes sense. It's true. All Plus right. he's looking dapper in his new uniform. Uh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I don't know what I was doing there, but Nino V says, I'm reading the comics for the first time and realize that you probably need to view this show as a comic book. I didn't have a problem with Daryl falling from his bike right next to a dead biker because a shot from above showing Daryl fallen pretty much reminded me of a full panel drawing in the comic. You forgive the heavy metaphor in the context in that context a lot more, and Gipple seems to be a big fan of the original comic. Uh, reading it now, though, I remember Aaron complaining in the past about how the show makes its characters do stupid things and that the comic was better in a lot of ways. He even talked about how he would have preferred to just follow the comic storylines more closely. I don't know how long ago he read it, but the comics have a lot of the same problems that you guys point out if you look at it as in-depth as we do with the show. That might be true, and that's one of the reasons I stopped. Uh, you know, because I, I did have the habit of reading the anticipated arc, or, you know, like start where the comics yeah. kind of left off and kind of reading the next 20, 30 issues as a way to prep, and it kept on blowing up in my face. Because I see where she's saying... Uh, about like, you know, I think, and I do, I think I've said on the podcast that like, I don't think that Kirkman is this incredible storyteller, um, that he has a reputation. He's just maybe the first person that's really taken a serious, mature look at what life would be like in a zombie apocalypse in his long form narrative format. Mm -hmm. And he gets a lot of credit from kind of like blazing that trail. Yeah. So to that, you know, with all that said, I do think that a lot of times what happens in the comic is superior and that could be structurally or whatever. I don't, I don't remember the, 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 the one shot she's talking about probably because I didn't read the comics and and prep for the season, but. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because he and or she, I don't, I don't know what the name Nino is, honestly. Oh, it's probably Uh, he, it's a Nino. Yeah. I'm, I'm not certain. Um, but they mentioned that you've always kind of assumed that Kirkman is the the real puppet master behind the show and mm. that he has a lot of control. Uh, but, but they're not sure if that's the case given how much it the feel of it has changed between the different showrunners. Which, I mean, even if the showrunner is like 50% of it and Kirkman is the other 50, right. you can see that having an effect on the show, for sure. Well, and that's the thing. It's like I always heard that in season one it was, you know... Um, 
shit, Darabont, butting heads with the producers and executives at AMC. And, yeah. uh, you know, Kirkman is one of those producers and executives of The Walking Dead. And then you heard the same thing about all this friction and strife with Mazera. The Gimple era, it's all been peaches and kitten kisses and sunshine. So that leads me to believe that either Gimple's a lot better at manipulating Kirkman or that Gimple is much more of a team player. And that when, okay. you know, he doesn't give Kirkman as much shit. And, I, you know, this is me armchair psychoanalyzing two people I don't know and their working relationship. But, hey, yeah, man, it's just tough that's what I like, love to do on this show. I, I know I, I get the point. Look, this is based on a comic book. Uh-huh. And if you view it as like a comic book perspective, maybe it makes a lot more sense and you don't need all the context that you need in a show. But at the end of the day, it's a TV show. Yeah. And it, it's... It's tough for me to say that they should make this like a comic book, right? In this, because like if you go to I don't know Watchmen, sure. right? That feels like a movie. It doesn't feel like a comic book to me. It feels a little bit like a comic book in style, but not in substance, right? Well, here's some her- here's a heretical opinion. I don't I think I don't think the Watchmen as a comic book is that hot of a comic book. It's got a lot of big ideas and intellectual stimulating, sure, but yeah. the actual style and storytelling I always thought was stilted and kind of hmm. uh, okay backwards. But that's the other thing is like I don't want to make it seem like comic books automatically mean shit doesn't make sense and it's stupid and like you just have yeah, to yeah. knock yourself in a hammer the few times to enjoy it. I, I think what they're getting at, and I agree with, is that the medium is different. Yeah. Like comic books use a lot of visual poetry to get across the themes that they're saying because they can't do the nuanced acting and whatnot. Whereas same way like a mm-hmm. Broadway musical, like everybody's singing and everybody's emoting huge and make sure to scene from like the, the, the peanut gallery. Yeah. Whereas if you do that with a real extreme close up, you're going to think this person has lost their mind. So every medium has to make a few necessary tweaks. And, you know, again, if, if, Gimple chose that shot to do an homage to the comic. Great, but I think that shows a poor understanding of how you translate those mediums. There are a lot of shots that are iconic, right? Like Rick riding up to Georgia, or I'm sorry, Atlanta, Atlanta, on horseback is an iconic comic book shot that translated beautifully cinematically to the big screen. Yeah, Daryl wrecking his bike next to another biker that died in a forest fire or was a zombie that walked into it. Didn't work as well for me. Okay. Daniel T says, every season I hear you guys say, wow, the first episode was awesome. Then in a few, you say, this is garbage. And the final episode is, wow, I can't wait for the next season. They got me again. I, it's uh, it's the, the trap yeah. is exquisite, and I don't know how to get myself out of it. No, he, he agrees. He says, it's like this for me as well. The show seems to always be looking too far ahead and setting things up for later, but they forget there's several episodes in between and that they should be decent and entertaining. They neglect basic writing skills and plot progression in favor of, hey, later on it's going to be awesome. Let's just make this character do this for no reason so we can do that cool thing later. Do you? Because I, I remember us having this conversation, but I can't remember if it was off air or on air. But I remember around episode two thinking, do you think they're spending all of their budget like right up here and that we're going to go into a whole lot of like slow stuff or we hardly ever see any zombies? And, Seems like that's what they did. And I feel like that. <laughs> This show still has this weird, finite budget, whereas, you know, a lot of shows of this type, like, you know, Game of Thrones, it tends to, like, as they get progress in the series, it gets more and more epic and, you know, more and more visual pizzazz. And they still have a finite budget, but it seems like it's ever-increasing to adjust to the size and scope of the yeah. audience and their narrative ambition. Where Walking Dead, it's like, you get this much money and that's it. Fuck you if you got you want to tell a season-long arc with a herd of zombies. 
Yeah. And it's it's the shows for the, the, the poorer for it. I agree. I also just don't think in the slow episodes that Game of Thrones inevitably has as well that the writing is oh, the yeah. writing is much better in yeah. that show than it is yeah. here. And they still do like a, they they have way more ambition than they have skill to pull off um and that that's still a consistent problem with the show. Yeah. As well. Carter, pulling a Glenn is now my new go-to for fumbling a fake out character death. <laughs> Finally going to hop on the Aaron train and accept the show for what it has sadly become. The Walking Dead can no longer be taken seriously as a prestige drama. It's a zombie-themed soap opera with occasional moments of action bliss. It's not the worst thing in the world, but there's ample room for in the platinum age of television for an apocalypse-slash-zombie-themed Darabont-run drama. It's a shame that we had to see that show get taken away from us. Yeah, I mostly agree. I feel like it changed in season two uh, significantly, and it has never found its footing And again. here's the problem now... So what do you do when they kill a major character? Daryl's yeah. dead. He's getting his guts pulled out. He's surrounded by zombies. This show's conditioned us to think that that's going to be a fake out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And, and it's not the first time. Like, Seppenwall wrote a essay about how bad they fucked this up. And it talked about, like, I how... I haven't read that yet. I really want to. How that. they did this with Carol... In season three, where her and uh, T Dog got lost in the catacombs, and then they found her bloody oh, do yeah. rag, and then it was, oh, she must be dead. And then she turned up in a closet the next episode. And they did the same thing with Glenn last season, where it looked like he was dead and, you know, he's going to be left for On dead by bus, zombies. Yeah. And he, and this is the first time that they've kind of combined, and they kept on, like, in pushing the boundaries of what you can do with a character death fake out. And now they combined it with this making the the audience wait and i don't know i just don't if you're like if if you're the type of fan that obsesses over this show and glenn's your favorite character I, well, how I, how do you, how do you feel about that like are well, you going to care about it if he if he's put in another perilous situation are you going to care as much it's a it's a fair question and i would have read shelby in canberra's email about this but <laughs> you stomped I, all over did it I just sit on her? like a muddy puddle underneath sasha's boot you've just crushed it into the dirt uh so we'll move on to barry c from the uk but i, I think that's a good a good question i, I don't know i don't know the, i don't know how i'm gonna feel until i feel it i know we're gonna clown it the sure. next time someone important dies we're gonna probably clown the shit out and like oh i yeah. i don't know man there was... there's a dumpster awfully close to yeah <laughs> are we sure there's no dumpster all right barry c from the uk i'm sure the show is trying to claim there is a life is all precious struggle going on with all the characters, but surely there really isn't. Most of the show, most of the viewers who live in relative luxury compared to the characters, know that Morgan was wrong to save the life of a of the homicidal maniacs killing the group, and only the most extreme liber, of liberals and people of faith can surely sympathize with him. In fact, it is a fair assumption that what Morgan is doing is a much more banishable act than what Carol did to get banished at the prison. What do you think? I agree. I think people that are that extreme in their life philosophy are annoying in peacetime. Sure. I I think the statement all life is like precious. Like what's like the Peter Sanger guy that's like if I if I saw a 2-year-old and a chimpanzee fall off fall fall into the water who, who I yeah. save would depend on who, who I'm closest, closest to. to. Like yeah. fuck you, dude. It was, it was certainly you. not. I like, mean, you are biologically set up to go save that child. Right. You are evolved over the course of and millennia. And one day that child will grow up and contribute to society and, and is capable of expressing thanks and gratitude to you. Yeah. The monkey 
will probably throw shit at you in the yes, next second. Like that, or, or You'll save it, it'll bite your face and run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might rip your arms off. It's yeah. like, it's like that's just such a, a stupid black and white bullshit life philosophy. It, 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 and I know he's probably doing it just to make a ethical point. Like I, I, I question whether he was actually put in that situation. He would, he would find the strengths of his yeah. bullshit convictions. But the problem, let with alone it is it's flimsy. You, like, like he's saying that in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Just shove him at the front gate, then. Sure. Yeah. You know, go with the wolves. I don't go want, preach. Go preach to your flock, man. They're the ones that need you. I don't want my child to be in a scenario where there's a monkey and him or her yes. in the river, and you go save the fucking monkey. Get out of here. Right. Right. <laughs> You're banished. Right. So yeah, we're we're mostly with you. All I know is when the, the chimpanzees evolve super intelligence, they're gonna be uh-huh. highly offended to be called the monkeys in this podcast. That's true. It's going to be yeah. you and know, it's out there forever. So the, the, we're we're gonna be one of those things a hundred years from now where they're they're playing in universities saying what terrible species bullshit we were espousing. Could be. And I welcome our new ape overlords. <laughs> Caesar. Caesar <laughs> and the the rest of your your planet of the apes. Yep. Uh Keith says it is interesting to compare Carol's more black and white survivalist more morality to Morgan's. Uh to Carol, people who are criminals don't get second chances. Also, she sees them as a continuing threat, whereas Morgan believes in rehabilitation due to his own circumstances. They are really two characters who exist as opposites, each defined by their struggles. Carol overcame fear of her abusers and violence. She took a lot of shit and won't compromise. Morgan didn't compromise in his thinking and always cleared, but eventually realized that people can sometimes change if given a chance. It's an interesting moment in the show because now we see where the two views intersect. Do certain characters deserve forgiveness? Perhaps, but at what cost? Or, a new thought, what cost is there in not forgiving them? Mm. That's an interesting question. Uh, in the words of Morgan, a resolute I don't know is a definitive answer. We can feel safe killing those who may be potential threats, but we can never know what potential benefits could be reaped from keeping them alive. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I like the, the gray areas that this episode is delving into. And several episodes before it, but it kind of yeah. came to a head this episode. It's just weird because, you know, you think about, like, past civilizations and even just a few hundred years ago how bloodthirsty we were as far as, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Yeah. And we've we've calmed down on all that, uh, and it seems like we're heading into ever more, you know, generous, you know, uh, territory, whereas now there's a there's a... Uh, a sizable minority, I think, that would like to just do away with the death penalty altogether. And he thinks, like, okay, were the previous societies just wrong, or do we have the luxury to experiment with punishment to and, and get it just right? Yeah, uh, because we live in a society where you know laws are effective and. And, and so many we, of our needs are taken care of by default. Yeah, because, you know, the reality is, like, we're not any smarter or more highly evolved than humans 200 years ago. So that's the, that's the problem I always have The Walking Dead. When you take away that luxury, I think it's – Carol and Rick's viewpoint seem like they're more logical than, than like, you know, Morgan and uh, Tyrese and all those feel like they're people that are not – in the right time or place. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's where I come. Which down is why they're too. kind of frustrating for a zombie apocalypse crowd, because I think we identify kind of like Rick's got the right blame. Yeah. He might go a little too tough on crime occasionally, but we'd rather strike that balance than let a man choke our infant to death uh-huh. because we couldn't, couldn't kill him an episode before, you know? Sure. So I agree. Uh, Joel H 
says, with genuinely good shows like Fargo and Leftovers getting relatively low numbers compared to The Walking Dead, I wondered what was going on. Personally, I watch The Walking Dead every week, and every week I ask myself, why the hell are you still watching this stupidity? <laughs> Am I officially hate-watching it? This week was no exception. Uh, the formula for The Walking Dead works because they constantly create new characters with enough variety that there are bound to be at least two or three that you actually give a shit about. Mm-hmm. I give a shit about Michonne, Morgan, and Carol, so I therefore will keep watching. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I mean... I think that's about right. It's yeah. funny, because I, I, I sometimes think about this stuff a lot. And at the end of the day, it's not really important why you watch a show. It's just that, you know, are you still getting something out of it? Like, hate-watching can be fun. Sure. You know, love-watching can be fun. Yeah. And you know, everything in between. So... I think it's interesting that a lot of times I shift gears. Like, you know, if a show, especially if this show has like two or three bad episodes, I shift fully into hate gear. And it takes me sometimes an episode or two to get back into love gear. And then I get two or three good episodes and I'm like back into love gear. So I just, yeah, I, you know, it's something we talked about in the last few weeks. Like what happens if a whole season is just unwatchable dreck? with nothing of redeeming value where it's just nothing makes sense. And <laughs> therefore, like, even if they get cool action, it's like, who cares? Mm-hmm. It's not funny. It's not sad. It's just, bleh. yeah, I think they're these, these guys say what you will about them uh, episode to episode, but they're good enough not to fuck up a whole season like that. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to get a season of the walking dead. It's just like pure garbage. Yeah. There's, it's weird. Cause there's a lot of shows that probably fall into that category that are good, you know, good, but not great. Oh, yeah. Tons of them. Um, More than are great. Like, this is better than average, <laughs> but it's it's way... I'd say this is somewhere around average. Really? Well, I don't know. You throw in, like, the procedural bullshit and, that's like, what I'm all saying. of these primetime network right. shows, and it's like, eh. Yeah, that's where I'm judging okay. against. Because every once in a while, I've, I've tried a network show yeah. that gets kind of, like, some buzz and stuff. And, you know, the, every once in a while, you'll get something like Hannibal that's pretty good. But mostly it's it's like, yeah, it's quite a bit worse. And it's it's the subtle things. Like we talk about the background actors or the B actors, which, you know, mm-hmm. aren't great on The Walking Dead, but man, you get away from like the main starring cast and some of these things and you get you get off in the weeds pretty quick. Yeah. It's true. Uh Dr. Barry Goodman writes in about the director of this thing. Which I thought was interesting. Uh, the director guild, I understand, is rather particular on what goes on for each episode for each director. Note that David Boyd was the director for both Glenn episodes. So Dr. Goodman's the one he has actual experience with the acting community in Albuquerque. Yeah, he said he met David, who David Boyd, who is a cool guy. Met right, him right. So I just want to make sure people know he's not like uh, he's not an above the line guy, but he's had experience with the process. He's not just talking out of his ass. Sure, that's yeah. all I'm saying. Like we talk out of our ass. Yeah, so he's had some experience. I mean, the thing that he says here is that he directed both episodes, and they didn't have to restage that shot with Glenn. So, mm. like, they could they could film it all at once, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Huh? The way they do that, uh, Ben. That says, way, because what if they hadn't? They'd have had to like have co director credit or something. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly. He doesn't elaborate on it. Okay, so, not sure. Do you think that it was in? Do you think in that? I just wonder, like, was this intended? Like, at one point, were they in the, the Glenn thing not supposed to be this four week cliffhanger? Do you think it was like editing? Well, I mean, there's I've I've wondered that a lot this about this show. That like the story they're telling is not too terrible, but when you slice and dice it, and 
ask people to kind of pick it apart on these artistic merits, it starts to fall down. Like, you know, we talked yeah. about this with Slaptown. Sure. Like, man, if, they, if they'd taken these shows and spliced them together in a different order or, or kept kind of all these balls in air more than just letting some of them drop and like, okay, we're going to focus on this one ball that's not that particularly interesting. You know, like Beth as a B plot, pretty solid. Beth as an A plot for three weeks, <laughs> uh, kind of thin. Sure. Uh, I think we have an email later on about, you know, the order of, of things in this episode, but or in this season, rather. But we'll talk about it. Ben says, my favorite exchange in this episode. Ron, can I practice shooting a gun? Rick, no, we don't want to attract walkers to one part of the wall. Now, fuck off. I need to bang on the wall with a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he was making a lot of noise against that wall at the weakest spot in the entire wall. So Yeah, and like, I mean, hammering on cold rolled steel versus a shot? They're similar. Yeah. Similar sound. I don't want to wear hearing protection around either one, honestly. Uh, Bill from Houston has a a significant email here in size. I don't know about subject. But he says, At first I was upset at the execution of Glenn's death like everyone else, but getting past that, I admit that there was an impressive and consistent element to his escape. From what we've been told, walkers react to sight, sound, and smell. So if Glenn is under the dumpster, he's out of sight. He can be quiet, so they can't hear, and who knows what kind of awful smell is coming from that dumpster after two years, so they can't smell him either. It would make sense that eventually he would be beyond their detection and they would leave. Yeah, yeah, and I I buy all that, sure. Uh, Here's where I have an issue. After a single night, all the walkers can't find any meals, so then all 100-plus of them decide to move away? I'm frustrated with the lack of established rules of this universe about how long a walker will... It takes for a walker to lose interest after there's no sign of food. But if Glenn can put on his cloaking dumpster and all those walkers move away after a few hours, why doesn't Alexandria, uh, the herd at Alexandria, do the same? Rather than having Rick yell at everyone to be quiet, make sure that all the human cutlets are perched on top of the fence and bang away with a hammer. Why can't they just go silent for an evening? Everybody get behind the fence, don't make any noise, go into a building, and wait a while. Yeah, no, I... That's one of the things that many things that that the Seven Wall put up on his manifesto is that not only was this bad from a treating your audience with respect angle, it also really plays hell with what we think we know about the way zombies work in this universe. Because he's abs- he or she, whoever wrote that email, is absolutely right. Um, yeah. The whole way that the herd is explained is like, you know, one zombie accidentally brushes up against a door, another zombie sees it and thinks it's trying to get inside. Other zombies see that, and then pretty soon you got a herd. So, like, any visual yeah. stimulus or auditory or whatever stimulus is going to lead to a herd condition given enough zombies in the area. Yeah. So, why aren't they getting bored of Alexandria? Why did they get bored of of of, of Glenn? And, again, like, they did a pretty good job of showing it was only a small ring of zombies that were left, and I buy all those explanations, and I do think that Enid is implied to have drawn off the, the rest of the hardcore zombie faithful, but... yeah. And the thing we know about zombies and the reason that rolling a can by them works is because they tend to glom together like that, right? Right. Like they see one one zombie going after something mm-hmm. and they follow it. So it's just so one of those things where it's away. like it seems like both of these ideas are mutually contradictory. You can't have them, but you yeah. can do one or the other, but you can't have both plots simultaneously. I honestly yeah, was thinking I mean, it was so... It was so far beyond my expectation that these zombies would all just wander away except for a few stragglers. I really was trying to stretch my brain and thinking, like, man, how are they going to have, like, a heavy-duty rescue force come in? Sure. Like, what what force is going to be able to fight its way to save Glenn, and how would they even know he was there? 
to need mm. saving. And that's why I thought there'd be CB involved and there'd be like, you know, maybe end of mid-season rescue attempt. Them just getting bored and walking away was not on on the table of my expectations. Yeah, time is the great equalizer. Yeah. Uh, Dan also has some comments about this. Alexandria was surrounded 20 deep by zombies and no one thought to just take them out at the gates. Uh, the, the same thing that they did at the prison, which we've talked about before. Then he does some calculations. Look, let's say for argument's sake, there are 5,000 zombies at the wall. If 10 people hacked at them through the bars of the gate, killing six zombies per minute, that's one every 10 seconds. Six EPMs. Sure, no you can problem. Ma- you can maintain that. Easy. They'd have taken out the whole herd in under two hours. <laughs> when you put it in that perspective... Yeah, yeah, I mean, we did it's say... It's fucking that. ridiculous that they can't take out this herd. Yeah, especially given the time that they've had. Yeah, A day at least? Multiple days? I don't know. Yeah, but I get it. Like, Rick wants to make sure he puts his uh, thing together right. Because, I mean, from Rick's perspective, yeah. what's going to attack us? We're surrounded by 20 zombies all around. We have enough food and water to weather this, so let's just, you know, not do just anything stupid up. and do it right. But... On the other hand, they did that to prison all the time. Yeah, to keep the fences up. And you could also, like, it'd be real easy, I assume, to to put little holes through the fence at regular intervals, too, that you could take a, a rebar stick and just jab through. Like, that wouldn't really reduce the safety of the, the wall. There's a lot of things they could do. Yeah, and If I ever get around like... to writing a survival guide for Season 6, it'll, <laughs> it'll be fun to criti- the, the, the armchair quarterback all these decisions. But... The, the problem... So... The problem with that becomes, like, if you have a significant number of people, there is, and you have a wall that can withstand the force of the walkers. The zombies, are, they've lost already. They're completely not a threat. Yeah. Like, there is no, the only amount of zombies that are a threat are the amount that crushes your wall. Sure. Instantly. Yep. Before you can peel them off of it. So, yep. they, they run or into Or they stack problem. up so deep that they start walking, like, a gentle hill of bodies to the top of the wall. Yeah. That's the other threat. Yeah. Start coming over, waterfall on their way over the top. Yep. As they love to do. Uh, it also raises questions like, if they're 20 deep around this city, how big is this city? And we've talked about that before. Like, you can't hear gunshots across the city. It takes Rick like half a day to run across it. But right. they can surround it 20 deep. That's yeah, a lot of zombies. Way more than a couple thousand. Sure. Anyway, Edmund says, I'm very happy Glenn is alive. I actually love how it happened. I was really happy watching the open- opening of this episode unfold so much that I feel... I could watch that first minute of the episode over and over again because I just really loved it. I thought it was done in a way that was believable and made sense. It was really intense, and Glenn was in a survival mode and was clear-headed as one could be in that situation. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aside from that, I did really enjoy this episode. Um, I love how Glenn is just eternally and intrinsically good compared to others who tend to be morally gray. Uh, I thought the meeting with Morgan was done really well. Lenny James is so, they say flippin', that's a word I would never use. I would say fucking talented uh <laughs> he has a way of expressing intense emotions even in a few words yeah i can't can't say enough good about him uh and says the tower falling was definitely an awesome and intense moment there at the end and i'm excited for the hell that happens next week we should all predict who will not survive will any of rick's group die do they kill the main characters in mid-season finale i think they do yeah uh, what do you think? We we should probably do some, some death prediction. So I know enough about the comic plot that I feel like it'd be cheating. Okay. Well, he has some predictions. How about this? Okay. Yeah. Uh, he here are my death predictions for next week: Jesse, Ron, Tobin, Olivia, and hopefully Spencer. None none of our Rick group. Oh no no. If I had to predict anyone 
from Rick's group who will die, I predict Morgan. Hmm. That's a lot of deaths. Morgan dying would be interesting because that would make Lenny James a single half season commitment, a single filming thing commitment. So that would like that would be pretty tidy. Sure. From a, from an accounting uh, perspective. Y- y- yes, yes. Which seems to be a major concern on this show. Um hmm. I don't know, because I feel like on a mid season finale with the fake out of Glenn that you have to kill Glenn. No. That no you, you got, I was gonna say Glenn, yeah. You gotta kill somebody. You got yeah, you got to. Um It would be really rude to kill Maggie. <sighs> Real rude. <laughs> She's dying as like, you burnt you burnt the photo. Um I yeah, I I don't know. I like I said, I it would be it would be shooting fish in a barrel if I talk about what I think I remember yeah. from the comics and then again, he could just remix it, and who knows? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I think we're going to have to wait until after uh, the finale and then do some death predictions for next half season. Yeah. Like we are wont to do. I will say that probably the death toll is going to be 90 10%, 90%, 10% Alexandria versus Rick's group. Yeah, I'm with you. Joseph says, look, I am not a Walking Dead defender. I basically have been hate-watching the show for years now, but I'm going to stand up in limited defense of the Glenn fake-out. I thought it worked. And I think that Jim and Aaron's hearts are two sizes too small. You'll get no argument from me there. Uh, I think <laughs> the birth, it's a birth condition. Yeah. Like, are you, you know, I struggle like, with it every day. It's genetics. We're, we're, are you going to make fun of our deformities? <laughs> Not very classy, man. Uh, he goes on. I think that if I had to watch these episodes without knowing anything from the internet or the talking dead, I would have bought Glenn's death a hundred percent. And I would have been excited to see Glenn come back. It's basically like a classic TV cliffhanger. I thought Glenn defending himself by building up a wall of dead walkers around the edges of the dumpster worked well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I still thought it was telegraphed that Glenn was not dead, even without the talking dead, even without interviews, even without Twitter. Mm -hmm. To me, I went away from that episode going, well, Glenn's not dead. Was that our... Was that actually because we film? We have it on I think film. So. I, I believe so. It was like we were both saying, "Yeah, it's obviously Dickless guts getting ripped out. It's not Glenn. That's pretty apparent." Yeah, I think that. I, I, I think that it wouldn't have taken Reddit and all. I think at a second watch would have confirmed. Okay. That they shot this deliberately to imply some kind of trickery. But I, Alan Sepinwall swears that his initial thought was that Glenn was dead. And it was unambiguous hmm. that he was dead. I thought it was extremely ambiguous. If you want to watch it once and you see that his guts are being pulled out and they're zooming away to him being on the ground surrounded by zombies, you could be forgiven of thinking that. Sure, yeah. But so, yeah. All right. Uh, Sherry in Missouri. M- Missouri? I wonder so, if that's why Alan's so worked up, because he personally fell for it. Maybe so. Like yeah. the per- professional television ah, critic, me. he's like, he's, that's it. why he's... Cause I, he seems more worked up than usual. Well, it was a lot more bullshit than usual. Yeah, no. It's 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 a way that they've they've combined several ways of failing together and then added the social media after show aspect. Yeah. And taken and again, like name it, I, out of the credits, which they've never done with a character death. Yeah. No, I think it would have been <sighs> I think it would have been cool if they'd went all in. Like just have Steven Yung lie to people. <laughs> And then he could actually yeah, have talk him. about how he was crying on set the day he found out. He read the <laughs> script. He went to Lauren Cohan and was like, oh, I can't believe they're going to do this. But then they destroy <laughs> But that's weird. It destroys the integrity of the Talking Dead. Which, oh, totally. Yeah. But I feel like are should they be more worried about that than the no. damn show? No. No. <laughs> they should use the – and that would be interesting going forward is to say we are going to use the Talking Dead to further our narrative of every 
step of the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's where it's like, I think I, I annoyed you on our discussion of season one of True Detective because I was openly entertaining whether or not Nick Pizzolatto and uh, Carrie Fukunaga are smart enough to stage some of this butting heads as a way to further the meta narrative of the show itself. Yeah, I don't usually buy into this big grand meta plan. Typically, but I feel like it's something like I feel like you and I have been close to fucking with an audience like that. We always like, nah, that's not right to do. Sure. But if we were a little bit more narcissistic, we probably have, would, would have tried it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. So I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving people enough credit or the opposite. Because then we can go then we can go our separate ways for next season of, talk, uh, of Talking Dead. and But one of us can still be the executive producer and then it'll bomb. There you go. And then we come back. We reunite for season for, for season eight of The Walking Dead and ratings are never higher. Yep. We'd never, one of do, us is we'd probably, never do something that cynical and crass, would we? One of us is killed in the process of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or are they... Yeah, that was those rock salt rounds. <laughs> Sherry, <laughs> if I just shoot you with the blank <laughs> gun, and you pretend to be dead on, a, on, that on would the live be cast, horrifying. Uh, you have to really sell the argument leading up to it, though. Sure. All right, Sherry in Missouri uh, says thanks for your podcast. As as my twenty one twenty one year old son said in the car the other day, wow, they really like to drop the e- drop the f bomb. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but they do it creatively. Oh uh, well. Depends she, depends on who you ask, but thank you. Uh, and then she goes on, one issue that still bothered me is Rick's hand. He injured it, and there was talk of something that happens in the comic book, but no one has gone back to explain why he is favoring his hand so much and what the implications were. I think this is a drop, drop thread. That's so bizarre to show him slice open his hand and then it not matter in any way. Right. Right. There's no way in which that mattered, unless they go back to it in the finale, but I don't know why they would. I mean, it could be, because, you know, I mean, we're talking about this in the main part of the cast. There's an injury to Rick's hand in the comics that happened long, like, way, 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 way back. That's probably, in, and Kirkman says he that was a mistake. Yeah. He didn't like that whole plot line, so it's, it's, it'd be actually really super funny if he did it um, at this point. But I think... If I'm being charitable, that that was a wink to comic fans. Like, Rick's got a bandage on his hand. Her, her. Okay. Sure. Which, that's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind it. They, if, if that was the case, I thought they it's, played a little bit more though. significance to, like, him favoring it. and. It's super confusing for show watchers, though, when they make it a significant thing. Yeah. It should have been show. more bad. If you're going to wink like that, it should be in the background. Yeah. Stuart from Biz- Brisbane, Australia. So at the end of episode five, we see a trickle of blood seeping through part of the Alexandria wall. Deanna walks past it and sees it, or doesn't see it. And this week, uh, in this week's episode, we again see it, and this time Rick and other Alexandrians notice it. Uh, the hole in the wall instantly reminded me of the story about the little Dutch boy who saved all of Holland by plugging a hole in the dike with his finger. The moral of the story is that a small effort can avert a major disaster. If you're curious, the name of that story is Hans Brinker or the Silver Skates. Uh... And and the story of the boy is like a short story within the novel. Okay, that makes sense. It's it's strange, but, you know, it's there. Uh, he says, judging by the collapse of the church tower, it appears that the Alexandrians' case, uh, in their case, the major disaster was not averted. So what small effort did they fail to do? Maybe they should have begun shoring up the wall a lot sooner. Rick's efforts were too little too late. Perhaps it refers to the bigger picture that the Alexandrians should have opened their eyes earlier to the reality of their predicament and their need to adapt to survive. I'd buy that. Yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was a 
I thought it was interesting. I, I don't know that that's what they were necessarily going for, but that idea could certainly be implied. Yeah. That like, I mean, we took it to kind of mean, you know, this is the outside slowly making its way in. Sure. But but it could be like, a, you know, a bunch of benign negligence that gets to a point where you can't come back from it. Yeah, ultimately, like... A.K.A. the U.S. infrastructure system right now. Pl- plugging that hole would not have helped uh-huh. at all. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think it was the weakened nature of the gate there that made it collapse under the stress of the building falling on but it. But as you pointed out in the opening, like... That whole sequence is one of those things where it's uh, this kind of chaotic catastrophe that any one thing, like if the wall hadn't been weakened, maybe it could survive a tower falling on it. If the tower hadn't been weakened by the truck, maybe it wouldn't have fallen on the wall. If the truck hadn't, you know, yeah. it's like it's one of those things yeah. where you needed all those kind of failures all together to, mm-hmm. to, to make the crisis that we have now. Gotcha. Chelsea says, so, in an amazing display of total bullshit, Walking Dead spoiled me for The Walking Dead again. Uh, When I went to watch the show online, the cover photo of the episode was Glenn alive and bloody. Really? Really? To add insult to injury, I've spent the entire day avoiding the internet with the same level of frustration as a dog wearing a goddamn neck cone. (laughs) I finally felt so uneasy that I gave in and started watching it while at work. I'm so annoyed, I couldn't continue watching it. However, I felt that Glenn's dumpster escape was pulled off relatively well, considering how totally implausible it was. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's the thing. It wasn't... If this happened in... The, if, I mean, I'm sure we would have said, ha, ha, her, her, look at all these staging problems and whatnot, because that's what we do. But then we would have moved on, and we'd accepted the how this fits in the narrative, and we wouldn't be spending all this time arguing about it. No, no, no. I was For this email, I was going more for the idea that they're showing cover photos of a key plot point oh yeah yeah that's like when you go to click on it online to watch the fucking episode you already see the resolution yeah like they did that with glenn last time when we talked about the bus escape right when maggie goes to to pick him up there was some like next time on yes where they clearly showed that glenn was not in fact dead in this bus sure now they didn't i will say that they avoided doing that yeah and yeah they're they did not give away anything about glenn they did a good job on that in the leftovers too like, their uh, next time on was a big fucking fib last week. It's true, yeah. So... They, it was no new footage, was it? Uh, well, they they, they put a, some new and some used that kind of made it seem like this was okay. something else going to happen. And I, But yeah, by not showing Glenn. But then I, I noticed the same thing when I went to the... Because I usually get, especially on the instant cast, um, I usually go to AMC's press photos or whatever the fuck they are to get the cover art for the instant cast. Yeah. And when I was on there and this was, you know, 15, 20 minutes after the show had aired, that was the, the, the big one you go in there is Glenn's mug. And hmm. it's like, wow. Like if you're Pacific time, fuck you, I guess. I wonder if they thought alone, like, if it's the next day and you've, you, like you said, try to do your best to avoid all those, the internet, yeah, avoid the, the entire internet. internet. I wonder if it's like, oh, well, you know, people are aware that we're going to talk about Glenn in this episode, so let's just put a picture of Glenn, and they didn't intend it to be like, hey, Glenn's alive, everybody. But even then, that's not smart. Matthew P., I thought even though they trolled, they 100% trolled us with Glenn, the way they got Glenn out of the dumpster was good, uh, or out of the cliffhanger was good. Um, He says that there was some... You know, you know, some redeeming qualities about this episode. Even the Alexandrians weren't entirely annoying. 
Uh, <laughs> and then I mainly included this for this comment. What was the episode called again? Chekhov's Watchtower? <laughs> yeah, they were heavily uh, foreshadowing that for sure. Henrik says, I never watched Talking Dead, but this week I had to see if they'd at least address the elephant in the room. No, no, they didn't. They just had an hour-long circle jerk over how clever they've been. They were totally oblivious to the viewer reaction. I mean it. I I mean, I get it. Hardwick Show is a marketing tool, but come on. They don't even seem to realize that nobody thought Glenn was dead, and that's mostly because of Glenn's no-show at their stupid memorial segment combined with Gimple's idiotic comments. Yeah, so I watched the beginning of this. I did, too, because I I only had time to watch the beginning. Um me too. So I did, if they got to some slight, soft, like we said, soft slash hardball questions, I don't know. But the beginning honestly really turned me off. Yeah, the beginning. I mean, it's like a fucking victory lap. Like we did it. Hard, uh, Chris Chris pitched him not even a softball question. He ignored the obvious flame war that was happening on the internet. Yeah. The entire last week, the entire yeah. last three four weeks. Yeah. And just said. Everybody I talked to in my friend circle said we would be ecstatic if Glenn came back. Was was there any concern for you about it? And they were like, no, we knew what we were doing, and like we were happy with the response. Like they just glossed over that ninety percent of the internet was like, "Fuck you guys, right. this is terrible." Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people are glad that Glenn's back. You know, sure. I am too. I am too. But that's that not, doesn't I'm negate not ecstatic about the situation. Hell yes, no. yes. So sure. It, all it is is marketing, and I don't know why anybody would watch that show at this point. Mm-hmm. Joe P. says, would it have gone from total bullshit to highlight moment if the first scene from this week's episode actually aired right after the commercial break that followed the fall from the dumpster? I think so. I think if they had gone and left him under the dumpster, it would be... It probably would have made that an entirely different thing for me. Do what? With Glenn. If they left him under the dumpster this episode? No. If they left him under the dumpster... At the end of the first time. Oh, and then immediately come back or even let it go. Or like, even let it hang for If they let it hang for I still episodes. think people would have complained. It would. Oh, I, I've been doing this podcast for six years now. They'll always complain. Or f- wait, always five complain. years? Four years? I don't know. However long. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. If there was any kind of hanging Chad situation like that, people would have uh, got, you know taken to the walls about it. But... It would have been the barricades, less rather. Yeah, I, I feel like it had been less severe and it had been more understandable as an artistic choice. Like, okay, well, you you tried this and you went wrong, whereas the it, the way it actually happened was just a giant clusterfuck. Sure. To the extent that I don't even know what the hell they were trying to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jenkins B. has some comments about this episode. He says this was one of the better episodes in the past few weeks. Why? Not not because of zombie action, gun-toting action, or fake deaths, but simply because of scenes where characters express their feelings and thoughts in complete, meaningful dialogue. Take, for example, the meeting with Morgan. I felt like I was in a real council meeting where an actual issue was being discussed and thrashed out instead of the usual half-expressed, vague, parable dialogue they're used to giving us. Another example is Glenn with Enid, where he lets her know exactly what she is doing, how he feels about it, and why she should stop. I prefer this to the Maggie Aaron debacle of two episodes ago of you go, no, I'll go. And then we can go all the way back to like, here's not here and we ain't them. And Although I will say that, that while I think that the Glenn and Enid stuff was more successful, it did fall that same structure. A little bit, yeah. Of like refusing to actually get to the real point until the very end of the episode when it's time to get to the real point. 
Um, yeah, that's true. But, but when Mor- it happens over the course of a single episode, it's right. a lot better. Right. And I think the Morgan thing with with the time that we got to his backstory and all that was was neat. Yeah. And one of these days, it would be interesting to see instead of doing a single bottle episode to give that backstory, if they did it at a different point. Like if if they had had Glenn hanging over their heads or people were kind of impatient anyway, and may, or, or maybe they could have like. I was at the fantasy of like doing that, except for have it be the cold open of every episode leading up to this episode, where it's like its payload is most effective. Uh-huh. But I don't know. They they do like the disjointed. I think I think Gimple really likes. He feels like he he's does. really caught yeah. lightning in a bottle with this non conventional, non linear storytelling. He's trying to Tarantino us, and I don't feel like it's working. Mm. It, it did like it, it. I felt like the pilot was a notable exception to that, but on, but yeah. now I, I feel like that was more useful because it obfuscated some of the plot problems. Okay. So damn it, man! I agree it's like with I'm that. trying to give him credit, and he keeps taking it away from himself. Mark in Virginia says, "I like to think I came up with the word trick fuck, but the Urban <laughs> Dictionary claims otherwise." I what is a trick fuck? I, I didn't I didn't look it up. Look it up while I'm doing this. He is, says, "Is Tony Hawk involved?" I I mean, I I caught the implication here. He says, "Is it Glenn, one word or two? One word, man, all caps in his email." <laughs> but he says, "When Glenn popped his head on screen, the word <laughs> trick fuck entered my head. I thought to myself, good, Glenn, good to see you. Missed you, but you were dead to me. And Gimple, fuck you and your trick fuck." <laughs> Uh, to con someone into doing a task or job no one else would willingly want to do. To knowingly trick or bamboozle someone into doing something they will pay a consequence for. Okay. Uh, he trick-fucked me into taking his duty. I was <laughs> trick-fucked into this position. I was told it would be great. First used exclusively by U.S. Navy sailors in mid to late 1990s. All right. Wow. Okay. So we have the Navy to thank for that turn of phrase. As is as is most of my vocabulary, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Cappy says uh, some comments about Enid and Sophia here. When Glenn was speaking to Enid and said, "I get that you're scared," during the helium tank scene, I kind of felt like he was talking to Sophia. And I'm going to go into a comic a comic arc that can't be a spoiler for the show. So if you don't want comic spoilers, I suggest you skip ahead thirty seconds. Okay. But like. I don't feel like spoiling the comic here is such a bad thing, especially with something that's happened such a long time ago. If it involves Sophia, she's dead. So On the show, yeah. All right. So, okay. For those who don't know, Sophia is his adopted daughter in the comic, who was orphaned when Carol died in the prison. Maggie and Glenn had a connection with her and therefore took it upon themselves to take her in. Um, Wait, what? For real? That's what Cappy's saying. Sure. I don't remember that. Uh, so, and, so, okay, yeah, all right. I don't think I got to that part. Now I think I remember this. Okay. For those that are only familiar with the show, you may remember Sophia as Carol's daughter, who went missing in season two, who we later find in the Green family's barn as a walker. With this new baby on its way, do you think that... Oh, God, I can't say this. Glenn and Maggie would adopt Enid as well? Will she join the cast of the Full House Walking Dead Familia? Would Would love to hear your thoughts. What do you think about that? It's kind of an homage to the comics that Enid will fill the role of Sophia. I don't think Enid needs a family at this point like that. She's too old. I think she just I needs like to be right, rehabilitated yeah. in the same way Michonne was. Like, Michonne didn't need a daddy and a mommy. She needed someplace safe and secure to where she could start to heal from all of the traumatic stress she's endured. So I feel like that's the, the yeah. place I'm at with Enid. 
Yeah. And I think I mean, it would Ian feel clearly... a little too gr- full house gross if they went that direction. Yeah. If Eden, now, I, if Eden was you. like 11 or 12, okay, maybe. But, I mean, I think what you, she's like 15, 16, yeah? That's what I would guess. I mean, Carl's kind of right there, too. Mm-hmm. When, how old is Chandler Riggs in real life? He's got to be 15 at least. Uh, but, yeah. I, he's 16, yeah. So, so that's that's uh, what I'm, I'm glad I wasn't totally off on that. But, yeah, I, I feel 15, 16, and I don't think they, she needs to be adopted by Glenn and fucking Maggie, no. That was my general feeling, too. But I could see why people might think, especially after we know so much about her parents, like, and why she's JSSing. But, I mean, you know, Chandler Riggs is way too old to pull off that whole, you know, my daddy is in a coma and you left me and I'm scared and lonely but not really kind of thing. I mean, it was way more yeah. effective when he was, like, 11 years old in the comics. So mm-hmm. it's not saying that The Walking Dead wouldn't exhume a hoary plot and with an age-inappropriate actor. <laughs> That's true. And do not justice to it. Uh, final email. Amanda D. in Houston says... I am a licensed professional structural engineer with 10 years of experience, and I'd like to weigh in on the Falling Tower's impact on the Alexandria Wall. I actually read this uh, compiling (laughs) the leftovers feedback this morning. All right, good. So you might have some comments on it. I did quick calculations for both the maximum wind conditions and for for the impact of the Falling Tower. I just assumed that an architect would do their best to design for hurricane wind forces, which is the biggest lateral event Alexandria faces. Zombies pushing at the base of the wall is less of a structural threat. I would buy that, sure. All right. Uh, she goes, here's the wind part. Assuming the wall is 15 feet tall, and we're just looking at the approximate 30-foot length that fell down during the episode, the maximum wind load the wall would see is 11,800 pounds gust, an 11,800 pound gust acting 8 foot 3 inches above the ground. Okay. And she, sti- she cites the section of the architect's book i don't know what it is but (laughs) there are plenty of other structural engineers out there to do that here's the tower part assuming a 10 foot by 10 foot floor plan that is 30 feet high tower should weigh about thirty thousand pounds total this tower fell at an angle and we're only concerned about the horizontal component of the force let's say the building was nine feet away and the horizontal force hitting the wall was fifteen thousand pounds anywhere on the wall let's say at the same height as the wind to keep it simple so it looks like the force of the building hitting the wall is 15,000 pounds, and Reg probably only designed for 11,800. The tower impact was 25% more intense than the maximum wind gust. So yeah, the falling tower could possibly make the wall fall down. Yeah, my only concern would be like, okay, so that's 20% over, so would that mean total structural collapse, or would it like get bend and sag kind of? But I have that's, no idea. I mean... I'm not a structural engineer, and she is. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I... I I buy totally that that building collapsing on that would would crush defense. Honestly. Yeah, I mean this feels like a napkin calculation. Yeah, back in the nap, but you know it's better than I could do. Sure. So and, uh, yeah, like when I saw it the second time, uh, yeah, the way they staged it and the angle and everything, it's like okay, sure. It looked pretty hefty. Yeah. So had a lot of leverage on the wall. All right, that's it. Okay. Uh, you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us? If they you can similar. do so at Watching Dead at thank, Baldmove.com. Thank you, Watching Dead at Baldmove.com. I'll tell them. <laughs> And at forums.baldmove.com. All right. Or Facebook, Twitter, whatever. We just... All that stuff on baldmove.com. Go to baldmove.com. Yeah. Yeah, it's all there. Uh, We're going to be back for the season finale. That's next week. Mid-season finale. Well, yeah. Mid-season finale. Uh, 2015 finale. We'll probably have have a post-season recap, you think? We will. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure. All right. So, I don't know. We'll talk about it over the next week or so. Uh... But yeah, we'll be back for the live watch and the live recording of the Instant Cast and all that stuff. 
next Sunday. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you.